Let's pray one more time as we get into the word today, uh, speaking on a subject that I think should be near and dear to all of our hearts, one that is foundational to our faith, but also it is the, one of the most powerful subjects uh, concerning scripture and our relationship with the Lord. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much again for all that you're doing in our hearts and our lives today. God, I pray that you would, you would hear our hearts cry this morning that recognizes our need of you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would begin to, to settle in this place in a manifest way as your word comes forth, that you would speak and you would convict our hearts. You would transform us according to your will, God, that we would receive revelation today. You would open our eyes to see you, Lord Jesus. That's the cry of our heart. We want to see you, to know you, and to be like you. Lord, would you open up our ears, Holy Spirit, so that we can hear what you are saying. Lord, we want to know what you are saying, God. We don't want to move according to our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our own fleshly pursuits, God. We want to move according to what you tell us to do with obedience, with instant action. Lord God, in fervency in what we do, empowered by your grace to do it. Lord God, open up our hearts right now, God, to receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation from heaven right now, that you would pour into us, God, what we cannot do for ourselves. Revelation today, God, would you pour it out into us, Lord? Take over my words, Lord God, right now. You know I need you. Lord, I desire for you to be glorified in this place. We need to see you lifted up. Come through your word in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and all those in agreement said, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've been, uh, in the beginning of this year, going through somewhat of a study, you know, not necessarily verse by verse, but referencing, referencing a lot of scripture in the book of Corinthians, and I believe that the Lord is continuing with that theme inside of us today. Uh, there's so much more, and I don't believe that we'll be able to touch every single topic within Corinthians. Uh, but the things that the Lord highlights, that's what we're bringing to you. And we started out the year with our time of prayer and fasting. Those of you that remember, you know, some of you may say, oh man, that was like a lifetime ago. Well, it was only a month ago or a little, a month and a half, you know, that we, we completed our time of prayer and fasting. And we, what were the subjects that we were talking about? Who remembers? Okay. This is why we do this. <laughs> How many of you remember that we were talking about wisdom, power, and strength? Wisdom, power, and strength. Entering into the first couple chapters of Corinthians, we talk about those things. And we know that the wisdom is Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God. His word is wisdom. The gospel in itself is wisdom. What is the power? The power is Christ himself. The power of the gospel is Jesus. The scandal of Jesus coming to earth in the flesh, out of heaven, so that we could be redeemed. That is the power of God that everything else comes from. All of our life, all of our relationship, everything that we have purpose for and in comes through Jesus. And then Dr. Brown shared about the power of, of strength coming from weakness. And we, we all can share testimony to that fact that we know that when we are weak, surely the Lord is strong. 
And that's a theme that I, I don't want us to ever forget. You know, it's not like, okay, we can put that and plug that in that weekend and say that that was good for that weekend, but now we move on. No, that's, that's an everyday thing that we need to be in a posture where we recognize in our weakness that's when we are actually strong as long as, as long as, you know, it doesn't just mean you're weak, that means you're in a good place. You don't just stay weak. You stay in the place of dependency upon the Lord, of, of, of leaning into his heart and saying, Lord, if you don't come through, nothing's going to happen. That's where the Lord constantly brings his children into that place of trust, into a place of waiting, into a place of weakness where, you know what? I've exhausted all my resources. I've exhausted all my strength. Lord, you have got to come through. And so being perfected in weakness, such a, a constant theme throughout the, the New Testament and definitely throughout the book of Corinthians where Paul continues to talk to a church that is full of pride, full of ego, full of lust in every single way. Uh, in many chapters, it goes into some things that normally you wouldn't hear in church because it talks about sexual relations and it talks about different forms of idol worship that we don't want to touch probably because we're still doing it today. Probably because we still have, have an appetite inside of us to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so I'm not going there today, but I feel heavy on my heart from the Lord that we need to talk about the love of God in this place this morning. And I'm talking about the ravishing love of God, the ravishing love of God that comes through a lot of things. It's not just having a good definition this morning, even though I'm going to give something to you. It's not just something that comes to understanding what perhaps 1 Corinthians 13 says that many of you probably have on your walls uh, at home. I would probably say maybe even 90% in this room have that written somewhere, and you, or at least within your lifetime, your parents' house, you've seen it written somewhere. But I believe that this is going to become something of who we are today. If you get anything as we go over all of this today, uh, and we're going to go a little bit deeper than just talking about love, about what we do with love, it would be that as we talk about it, we desire to become it. It would be that as we say, okay, this is something that love is, and love is not, so it, I don't want you to walk out of this place saying, okay, now I have a prescription of what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to strive to be kind. I'm going to strive to be patient. I'm going to strive to do these things. If you walk out of here thinking that, you have totally missed everything that I'm trying to say to you this morning. But if you walk out of this place saying, just as we mentioned, Lord, I am weak in these areas. There is no way I can have patience. I am not patient in this flesh. But Lord, by your grace and your empowerment, I can be patient. You don't wake up one day and choose to be patient. You can pray for patience, and some of you have, and that's why you're in the situations you're in. I'm just being funny. It could be true, but in any case, as we pray to become these things, the Lord takes us through a process. So I'm not expecting instantaneous change for all of us in this place today. I am expecting a touch from God. But I'm expecting us to become who God is, like who God is. And God is love. God is love. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read it all the way through and then I'll touch on it. It's not a long chapter. As you're turning there, if you're not already in, in that book, this comes after 
First Corinthians 12, talking about unity in the, and diversity in the body. And, and honestly, Paul addresses this from the beginning in First Corinthians. This entire letter is talking about division in the church because they've got all kinds of things causing schisms, people ascribing to different teachers, uh, different beliefs, and, and he's trying to crush that. And he sandwiches it between the beginning and the end. He's got, he's got the talking about division in the beginning and what the true power of the gospel gospel is. And then he talks about the power of the resurrection at the end of where we come to fullness in life and what we really need to focus on. But a heart of the matter brought in here in chapter 13, read with me, starting in verse one, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be, to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked, it thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love. Love is a powerful force. We see it in the earth today when love is, is properly shown. But can I tell you, the love of God is something that this earth greatly needs today. Many of us in this place, we need a fresh dose of the love of the Father this morning. We need a fresh dose of the love of our Savior. We need to experience it so that we can express it to those around us because we're harming a lot of people around us simply because we don't experience the love of God. Simply because we haven't accepted it. One of the most amazing things that I can think about is that God loves no matter how much we hurt him. That no matter how much we continue to do things that are contrary to his desires, the God of everything, the God of all love, of all power, all knowing, everything, no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we miss it or do something to hurt his heart, he still loves. He still loves. And if that is his nature this morning, that needs to be ours as well. Sometimes we need, to lead, we need to love like we've never been hurt. We need to love like even if we've been hurt, it doesn't make a difference. Not that it doesn't make a difference in certain ways, but your love doesn't change. How many of you parents know 
that even as the roughest seasons that happen in your life, maybe you've had an experience or an encounter with, with, with one of your children, you raise them up in the way, the best way you thought possible in the way that they should go. And they, they, they began to wander and began to, to, to sow their wild oats like the world would say or, or, or those kinds of things. And they begin to do things that bring quote unquote dishonor to the home. And it makes you feel embarrassed because they're not doing things that you expect them to. And, and all these things, things begin to go on in your heart. Can I tell you, it's the Father's desire for each and every one of us to never stop loving. To never stop loving. Sometimes it's difficult to love, but that doesn't mean that we stop loving. There's a lot more to this. Josiah Gregory said, people of little religion are always noisy. He who has not the love of God and man filling his heart is like an empty wagon coming violently down a hill. It makes a great noise because there's nothing in it. We started out this verse talking about if you don't have love, it's just like a clanging cymbal. It's a bunch of noise, but really it's just emptiness. We could say all day, we could dance up and down in this altar and we can have exciting times even experiencing the presence of God. But if we don't experience and walk away operating in the love of God, then this world will never know who God is. There's an emptiness and a void that needs to be filled. It says in verse two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, how many of you would love to have all faith? All the faith in the world. I have the complete measure of faith. And what does it say? So that I could remove mountains. We even sang about that, that mountains would be removed, right? We get excited about those things. But can I tell you, if you do not have love in your heart, you're not just going to see that mountain removed. Likely, you're going to see that mountain put on top of the head of somebody else. You're going to see that mountain moved in some place that harms others because you're not operating in love. You can have all the faith you want. You can prophesy articulately and, 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 and with 100% accuracy. But if you don't have love, it's as if we had nothing. We had nothing. And I've been talking with so many different folks over these past, past several weeks about this very subject because it seems like God continually brings us through trials and, and through fiery types of situations where we literally have to learn to love. Our natural response wouldn't be that. But the process that we find ourselves in as Christians in relationship with the Holy Spirit is, God, you're, you're actually teaching me how to love. I know many of you know Bob Jones and, you know, there's some things that he has shared prophetically, some things that are awesome. I'm not saying everything is amazing. I'm never going to glorify one man, you know, but I, I appreciate the anointing that comes through people. And I love it when I hear from people that have walked with the Lord for many years, decades, even in the faith, and God gives them a word in latter years that begins to shape and make, make a marker on their life. And one of the things that he had shared is the Lord had spoken to him, have you learned to love? And he shared that with everybody. He taught that a lot. Have you learned to love? And when I initially, I've heard that many times. How many of you have heard that before? Or ever thought about that phrase, have you learned to love? And initially I just took that, yeah, that's, that's great. You know, I need to learn to love and just continue walking. 
You know, you just, you just continue. It's like, yeah, love, that's, that's fundamental. I don't really need to think about this, but wh- how do you learn to love? You learn to love when it's not easy to love. You learn to love when Jesus is on the cross being put to death, and yet still he looks at everyone with tremendous love. That when he goes to the garden, he experiences something of anguish, something of immense pressure, immense pain even. And he begins to sweat as, as with blood. And, and he begins to come into this place of saying, God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He experiences true love in those moments. Not that he hadn't before, but he was continually learning love and obedience to that love by the things that he suffered. I'm telling you, there's some times when we go through fiery ordeals that God has his finger on us because he wants us to learn to love to learn to love. When somebody despitefully uses you, when someone rejects you or betrays you, when you get offended by someone, usually by the ones that you love most, isn't that ironic? That you get offended and you get hurt by those that are closest to you. Why? Because there's, there's a connection there. There's a connection there. But you know, there's sometimes, and we're gonna get back into this scripture because there's so much we gotta cover. But I believe someone needs to hear this that as we're, we're, we're going through this process, sometimes we think we're extending love or acting out in love, but really we're just loving ourselves. And we're doing it in a prideful way, a self-serving way. Can I give you an example? Sometimes, how many of you have somebody that you have ever bought a gift for that you loved? Okay, how many of you have ever done it this way and you don't have to raise your hand again, but... You bought that gift, and really, you bought that gift for yourself. What do I mean by that? Not that it was a gift that was something that you liked. You genuinely thought that they would like the gift, but you gave them that gift so that you would hear the response from them, oh, thank you for this gift. You really gave that gift on intention so that you could receive that type of affirmation back. You wanted to feel good about yourself for doing something, for loving or showing affection. But really, if we do something that way, that's not really love. That's not really love. Love is, okay, I bought you this gift and maybe it was, it was a sweater, you know, and you know that your, your wife, your girlfriend, your, your husband, whatever, uh, you know, they really wanted a sweater. So you go out of your way, you try to figure out maybe this is the one, this is the right gift and, and you buy it for them and you're looking for that, oh, you heard what I said and you bought me this sweater, you're so amazing. You're so amazing, but you bring it and it's, it's red and what they really wanted was blue or they wanted green instead. And so, so what you hear is rejection and you're like, what? what? Don't you know that I love you? Don't you, can't you receive this gift that I've given? And, and, and you begin to, to reject, not because, because they didn't fully receive it, but because they didn't give you what you were expecting. And that expectation begins to get crushed. This happens in all different types of scenarios. Let the Holy Spirit give you that illustration for your own life. But can I tell you the way love operates is, no, I just want to give this because I love that person. And if they, they, they get the, the green sweat, if they get the red sweater and they wanted the blue sweater, then you say, oh, how can I help make this right? Because I love you so much, I want to make this right. It's not about what they say to you, whether they say thank you or not. That's how you love. 
When you're in relationship with people, we've been talking intentionally about relationships on Wednesday nights. A lot of these things are coming up about the way that we honor one another, the way that we can truly love one another and create a culture where there is, there is honor amongst us. It costs us a lot in order for that to happen. In fact, it's a death to ourself. It's a death to ourself. This whole thing about gifts and all this, it isn't an issue of love versus the gifts. That's not what's going on here. A church should never be forced to choose between love and gifts of the Holy Spirit. You don't choose between the two. Paul is emphasizing the focus and the goal of the gifts is love, not the gifts for their own sake. So we go in this and it says they have not love. They have not love. Paul uses the Greek word agape when he's, he's addressing the Corinthian church in this way. And many of you have probably heard these definitions, but I'm going to give them to you again so that we can get on the same page this morning. There's four different types, main types that you would hear uh, concerning love. And before I get to agape, the first one would be Eros, or it would be the, the word for love that would be the erotic kind of love, a, a, a sexual kind of love that, that you, would, you would expect to see when you, you look and turn on the TV and they're talking about love. You have another kind of love, which is, is storge, which is the second word. It refers to familial love, like family type of love, relational type of, type of love, or, or be, the love between a parent and a child. You have that type of love. You also have the phileo or the, the philea kind of love, where you have Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It has turned into something that is everything but, but... The intended definition there is that there would be a brotherhood, that there would be a friendship, there would be some kind of deep partnership with people in, in relational dealings. But the word that is used here is agape, and we all know that, or many of us know that, is the God kind of love. It's the, the love that comes, comes from heaven. But it's, it, to me, after looking at this even deeper one more time, I find that it's more than just the God kind of love, because I don't think that we could just wrap God's love into one word. We can't. We really can't. Uh, but it's cl maybe closest to it. Closest to it. The fourth word for love is love without changing. Love without changing. It's self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. Going back to the illustration we just went over. It is love so great that it became given to the unlovable or the unappealing. It is love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does, not it does not love in order to receive. We actually get our English word agony from this word. You wouldn't normally relate the two. But I found it so interesting that you, you actually get that word from this word agape. And there's, there's, there's something about this. It means the actual absorption of our being in one great passion. Strictly speaking, agape can be defined as God's love or can't be defined as God's love because men are said to agape sin in the world in John 3, 19, 1 John 2, 15, if you want to take notes. But it can be defined as sacrificial, giving, absorbing kind of love. The word has little to do with emotion, even though that's what we tend to think that love is, that love is an emotion. 
But love, as God intended, even though emotions can be a byproduct of it, love is actually a mental decision. Love is actually a choice. Love is actually a sacrificial type of response and diligent, intentional posture of being. It's, it's when Christ saw all of us, it was for love that he continued on that cross, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all wouldn't perish but find everlasting life. It was that even while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love towards us. God comes through each and every time. He gave his son for us. Let's talk about what love is and what love is not. We'll, we'll try to go over these quickly because I want to get to something else before we conclude today. Again, if we go over these things and you just say, you know what, now I've got a prescription, we've missed it. But love is, love what? Love suffers long, it says in verse, verse four. Love will endure a long time. How many of you have ever experienced an enduring love? Maybe you've been a recipient of that or maybe you've been one that has processed that out or walked that out yourself. God says it this way, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. If God's love is in us, then we will show long suffering to those who annoy and hurt us. Come, somebody say amen or oh me on that. You will show love to those who annoy or who hurt you. The very fact that you have somebody in your life that annoys you gives you opportunity to say, God is working on me and I have partnership right now in this moment. Glory to God. You say, where is God in the earth today? You've got somebody that annoys you. He's right there. He's right there. I'm not saying go around and annoy people so that they can experience the process of loving God. No, don't do that. But I am saying embrace every moment to allow it to be a lesson that God teaches your spirit. Not so that our head becomes full of knowledge and pride and wisdom. Oh, I am loved. No, we'll actually get into that in a second. Love is not boastful. Long suffering. Love is kind. When we have and show God's love, it will be seen in the simple acts of kindness. A wonderful measure of kindness is to see how children receive us. Children won't receive from or respond to an unkind people. You want to know if you have kindness in your heart? Spend five minutes with a group of kids by yourself. Five minutes is all it'll take. Probably five seconds for some. But let some kids with childlike faith just, just expecting kindness because kids are not born into this world expecting to receive hate. They aren't. Even in the fallen nature of our flesh, even with the sin propensity that we were born into, children still have an innocence about them. And they can be the indicator that will show you whether or not you have kindness. Fathers, mothers coming home from work, your kids instantaneously know whether you're going to be kind to them when you walk through that door. They can smell it a mile away. You want to know where you will stand with kindness? Be around some kids for a few moments. It does not envy. Is envy a small sin? No. 
Envy is definitely not a small sin. Envy murdered Abel. Envy enslaved Joseph. Envy put Jesus on the cross for he knew that they handed him over because of envy is what the word of God says. Envy is a powerful force. So love does not envy. It doesn't come out of that root, which is purely evil. What else does it say? It is not. It does not parade itself or it is not puffed up. It's not to be arrogant or self-focused. It speaks of someone who has a big head. You ever be around somebody with a big head? You never call them someone that's loving. Most people don't like being around somebody with a big head because it tends to fall on you and hits you from time to time. You love it when you have somebody that walks in humility, when you have somebody that's honest and just earnest with you. I'd rather be around somebody that is honest all the time than somebody who thinks they're right all the time. It doesn't say anywhere in here that love is right. Love means you're right. Love makes you perfect. What does it say? We're perfected in our weakness. <laughs> so, yeah. Love is not puffed up. It does not get swelled. It focuses on the needs of others. Simply rooted, it's pride. Pride that comes and destroys the power of love in our lives. And it's, it's vulgar. And can I say this? It's not just about pride in your own natural ways. But this is concerning spiritual pride as well, which... Paul was definitely addressing with this Corinthian church. Can I tell you one of the worst smelling aromas that happens in the church of Jesus Christ and in believers around the world is a, is a fragrance of pride, which ultimately leads to hypocrisy instantaneously. If there's pride found in our hearts, we're instantaneously hypocritical. Instantaneously, we become something that rejects people from God because they cannot receive the pure love of God through pride. They cannot receive it if they take on your nature. A few verses earlier uh, in some of these chapters, it talks about, and it's repeated in 2 Corinthians, about basically imitating Paul in certain ways. If people were to imitate you in your life this past week, just this past week, I'm not going to make this 40 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago, whenever you first came into the relationship with Jesus Christ, if they were to take an examination of your life this past week, would they see a life that is full of love? Would they see a life that is full of honor? Would they see a life that is not hypocritical? Or would they see spiritual pride? Would they see complacency? Would they see a life that is not in relationship with the Lord or loving one another? What's the greatest command that Jesus gave us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second one is like it and that cannot be separated from it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not here to condemn you this morning. And again, I'm not trying to simply make you make behavior modification. I'm here to say, let's get into that, 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 that well of God's love. Let's get into that flow that comes from Emmanuel's veins. His blood shed in that garden of pressing, that garden of Gethsemane, where he was in that press and under that pressure because he was about to show the most immense and most magnificent act of love of all time, past, future, and present. He showed that act of love and that pressure produced it. 
Come into that blood that was shed, that blood that came through him, that blood that came upon the stripes on his back, the blood that poured out from his hands, and that blood that came down upon that, those centurions that were there doing the very act. Come into that blood that truly sets us free from our iniquity and our sin. I'm talking about the love of God this morning. Are you getting some of this? We've got to move on. Love does not seek its own. Paul communicates this in many areas in giving honor and preference to one another and, and carrying the same thought of not looking out of your own interest, but also the interest of others. This is basically being like Jesus in the most simple of ways, being others-centered instead of self-centered. It was said this way, love is never satisfied, but in the welfare, comfort, and salvation of all. That man is no Christian who is solicitous for his own happiness alone and cares not how the world goes so that himself can be comfortable. I don't know about you, but here in America, we like things comfortable. It's by that very nature that we have a disservice done to us. Even though I appreciate the blessing of the Lord, I appreciate creature comforts, I do. You know, I'm, I'm a man just like you are, you know, man, woman, mankind, you understand what I'm saying? I definitely don't want to get you confused in this climate. Man is man, woman is woman. That's what the word of God says. I will never change that. That's what the word of God says. It's the intention. And it is, not, it is only love to be able to declare that. It's only love. If I truly care for my neighbor, I will say that and I will share that. I, I don't know about you, but in my, my family, I'm totally going on a rabbit trail here for a second, but I think I need to. Some of you have those in your family. Maybe you're even struggling with different, uh, different sexual tendencies yourself. I've got people in my family that attribute to a gay lifestyle and, and different things. Does that mean that I love them any less? No, no. Do I love, love people in my own household any less just because they have anger issues? Do I love them any less because, you know, there's, there's some times when they annoy me? <laughs> we were talking about these things. No, I don't love sin at all. We hate iniquity. We hate what it does to a person. But can I tell you, love is the only way that we are going to be able to see people come into the glory of God and the redeeming power that will set people free forever, forever. We will love however long it takes, however much long-suffering is required. We will continue to love, not just with a phileo love. That won't cut it. Not just with a, a, a storge, storge kind of love. Not, that, that won't cut it either. It's needed, but it won't cut it. We need the agape love that sacrifices ourselves so that they can consistently see that we love. Some of you haven't talked to some of your loved ones in some time, not just because of homosexual issues or other issues. There's some things and offenses in your life. You've castrated people just unintentionally. Why? Because we get filled with spiritual pride thinking that we can't allow sin in our home. We, we don't want to have it around us. If it's not around us, then it doesn't become like us. You know, there's certain truth that you don't just entertain sin. Yeah, I understand that. But sometimes we get so pride-filled and so, so lo lost concerning the, the aspect of love that God wants us to express to everyone in our homes and in our natural families and our neighbors that will often put, a, put an arm's hand or a hand, 
You know what I'm saying, an arm's length, an arm's length between us and them or even further. And you could even be living in the same city and not talk to people or call them for months, years on end because of something that happened many years ago. It could be sin related or it could just be something that was silly. You may not even remember, but there's things that happen and God is calling us to be people that go above and beyond that. I'm talking about a sacrificial love. I'm talking about a love that causes agony. Most people don't want to hear that when you hear love. You don't want to hear agony in the same sentence as love. But I'm telling you, pure love will come through that. How many mothers I have in this house? I'm hearing some babies. I know some babies are coming. We've got some twins coming in a little while. There's some agony that's about to be had. There's been some all, all, all along, but there's some agony that bursts into some beautiful love. There's beautiful love that happens and life comes out of that. Life comes out of agony. Life comes out of agony. New birth happens. Things that were old. Why do we grieve so much when we lose a loved one? There's multiple reasons, and I didn't think I would go here, but just we, we grieve the most when we truly have loved the most, to be honest. Even if we know where they are, we, we grieve because of the loss of that person. There's, again, lots of reasons why we grieve. We could grieve in a selfish way because, you know what, I didn't make everything right before that person went on to glory. I didn't get to do everything with them that I should have. Maybe you fall into self-condemnation and it's not actually grief that you're going through. It's, it's guilt that you're under. But then there's other times when it's love. You truly had a loving relationship with somebody, somebody with a spouse, you know, a mother, a father, a friend. You know, you had a tremendous loving relationship. You experienced that love coming into agony. It's not an abnormal thing. It's a natural thing and it should happen. It should happen. It's perfectly okay to cry from time to time. Why? Because those are things of liquid love. Those are things that allow us to express what is being worked through, through us. And sometimes we need to experience that a little bit more. I don't know if we're going to get through all this. We may have to do a part two. I think it's, it, it's, it's important enough. Love is not provoked. We find it easy to be provoked or to become irritated with those who are just plain annoying, but it is a sin to be provoked. We know that. It isn't love. Moses was kept from the promised land because he himself became provoked at the people of Israel. Check out Numbers chapter 20 for the full story. You don't believe me? Read it. Love thinks no evil. It literally means that love does not store up the memory of wrong. Some of us are really good record keepers. We could forget everything concerning what we were supposed to do during the day and even forget the grocery list, but we remember our wrongs quite, quite well. We keep them on the back of our eyelids, it seems. Can I tell you, only the love of God is what can wash that away from us. Only the love of God is what could keep us from being provoked. Because in the natural, I'm telling you, you will feel the, the, the pressing and the pushing and the, the things from every single side that will cause you not to express that love. 
but those that walk in tenderness, those that walk not because they said today I'm going to be tender, but I, I came into a place of, uh, of allowing God's love to operate through me. When things happen, it doesn't, doesn't harm you the, the same way. All of a sudden, you're able to give a soft answer instead of a sharp word, right? Many of you have experienced this. You know the difference to when you instantaneously react versus when, you know what, you, just, you, you see something a little bit different and you're able to respond with a soft answer and silence what is really trying to be expressed. It's not provoked, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, definitely doesn't. We don't, we don't rejoice when we see people on their way to hell. We don't rejoice when we see our nation ascribing to things that spit in the face of God. But what do we do? We rejoice in the truth. We rejoice in the truth. Mike, I'm gonna ask you to come and join me because I've got way too much more to try to squeeze into a few moments. We'll go into a part two with this next week. Honestly, this love that we're experiencing, I'll get, wet your whistle, so to speak, because we need to understand the ministry of reconciliation. We're actually going to jump out of 1 Corinthians, go right back into 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation, which only comes as Christ's love, love compels us. His love compels us to be able to be ministers of reconciliation, and that covers a lot. That's not just salvation, but that's relationship. That's those within the house of God, outside of the house of God. Let me close with the four last things. It says that love is like. Love is strong. Love is believing. Love is hopeful. And love is enduring. These are love's basic sweet companions. As Spurgeon would have said, it believes all things, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the phrase that many of us will wear on a t-shirt or put on a bumper sticker, love never fails. Love never fails. I want you to stand with me this morning. I really feel that the Lord's doing something deep inside of our hearts. This isn't just a message to talk about a chapter in the Bible. This is something God needs to do within this fire community. He definitely needs to do it, of course, in the church globally. But we need a fresh dose of the love of the Father this morning. Something that allows us to receive and operate in a function in a whole nother level than we ever have before. I want to see the power of God in this house. I want to see relationships restored. I know many of you are dealing with difficulty in your relationships, in your marriages, in your homes, in your workplaces. It's one of the main reasons we've decided to go into Wednesday nights talking about relationships. It wasn't just a good idea. It's necessary. We see what's going on and we care enough to say, you know what? We need to focus on those around us. 
But right now, before we ever get into a place of seeing the signs and wonders in greater measure and seeing the prophecy that, that, that makes people really see and glorify God in, in deeper ways, before we see a tremendous move of the Spirit and, and har- a harvest of souls, people coming into the kingdom and experiencing the grace afresh, we better believe that we need to have a baptism of the love of God. A baptism of the love of God. So with your eyes closed, your hearts bowed before him in a prostrate manner, with your hands perhaps raised to heaven. I want us to cry out with humble hearts today. With humble hearts today. Saying, Lord, again, we recognize that we have need of you. Lord, we recognize these words that come from Paul that says we could have all these things. We could do all these things. We could be the kindest person in the natural. We could continue to give out of ourselves, of our finances. We could spend time with the homeless. We could take the shirts off our back. We could look great according to the world's standards in terms of great acts of kindness and great acts of, of, of words that, that uplift others. But Lord, if we have not love in our hearts, we have nothing. Thing, and we are a clanging symbol. Lord, we come to you empty today. We come to you empty today afresh. Lord, saying, Lord, we know you have moved in our hearts before and in the past. We've been recipients of your great love. But today, Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh with your love. Baptize us right now all over this sanctuary. Consume our hearts with your love. Not that we could just feel it and experience it, but Lord, that we would be moved to mentally come to a place of submission to your love to say father you have to move through us give us your heart give us your perspective give us your perspective of our annoying co-worker give us your perspective of our spouse give us your perspective of those around us our friends our family our children God give us your heart Holy Spirit right now begin to move and to operate and begin to sand off the sharp edges to begin to teach us to love, that we could learn to love, to love you first and foremost, to come into a deeper relationship with you, where the fountain comes from, where the life comes from, because you alone are love. Lord, teach us to love like you do. Show us your love. Show us you on the cross again, God, that we can know the cost of your love, that we can know what you have purchased us with through your blood. Grace of God, empower us today to move out of this place speaking differently, seeing differently, hearing others differently. Right now, God. Right now, God. We surrender. We surrender. We cannot do it on our own. Fill us, oh God. Fill us, oh God. I'm going to open up these altars as we join together in song. Cry out to the Father right now. Cry out to the Father right now. I believe he wants to touch some of us deeply. We'll make opportunity for the prayer team to pray for those that would like prayer. But I want us to just dwell on on the Father right now. 
We need to receive so we can give it out. Amen.